0: Opinions of shows on KCNR are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only,
1: and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of KCNR Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and you are tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell here on KCNR 96.5 FM, 1460 AM, your talk radio. I want to talk about a very important subject um, that I've been seeing escalating over the past few months, and I think it's important that we bring it to public awareness, and that is the issue of depression in children. The whole, our whole society is going through so much stress right now with pandemic issues and COVID issues and um, changes for kids that are just off the charts from what they're usually used to. And so I'm beginning to see more depression in children. I'm getting a lot of calls from parents saying they're worried about their kids. I've actually had several young children that were suicidal in my practice, and that's just very unusual and I'm concerned about it. So, depression, anxiety, worry, concern, um, a lot of changes are happening for kids. So, I have been looking into it. I've been trying to look up statistics on kids and COVID and schools and all of this, and I can tell you I've done a ton of research in the last week, and it is all very conflicting information. I've gone to American Pediatric Association website and CDC and local county things and state things and trying to get to official websites and see if I can find out statistics for what are the risks for children in depression and COVID. And there just is not much information on any of it. So We need to talk about this because there are parents out there who are extremely worried about their kids. So my goal for this show is to help you understand what depression in children looks like, uh, what your kids might be going through with all this COVID stuff, and what you can do if you see these problems in your children. So let's look at the idea that uh, depression in children is often very different than it is in adults. One of, there's A long time ago, there was a book called Why Isn't Johnny Crying? It's actually a very good book about childhood depression, and you can still get it and read it. But Why Isn't Johnny Crying talks about what is very obvious for most therapists with children and not so obvious for parents, and that is that when we as adults are depressed, we tend to feel blue and like there's a black cloud hanging over our head. We lose motivation. Uh, We might cry a lot or lose interest in things. We have trouble sleeping. You either eat too much or too little. You might try to hide your feelings in drugs or alcohol. But with children, it's different. They often don't look sad. The biggest thing I see in kids that are depressed are they're irritable and angry, and they tend to act out. And acting out might be that they won't cooperate or they won't uh, stay in bed uh, they just get irritable and angry. And so that is one of the things that you'll see in kids a lot. What's interesting is there's basically three types of depression in children. Um, one of them that I think is very ironically called masked depression. And, you know, that's kind of funny in this day and age because a lot of what kids are dealing with is this whole mask issue. So masked depression is exactly what I was just talking about. It's an underlying depression and sadness, but it's masked by things like acting out and being angry. Another type of depression in kids is acute depression, and that is something is really bothering them. Maybe there's been a loss or a death or even something like their dog died, and acute depression is kind of related to something that is happening in their life. And then there's chronically depressed kids who have a chemical imbalance that maybe have a history of mental illness or depression or mood disorders in their family, and they may chronically deal with being depressed. So we're going to talk overall about what to look for in your kids and how to handle it if you find that and some things that you can do. So let's look at some of the signs and symptoms that we see in depression with children. The, there's the irritability or anger. That's very common and what I see the most. They also will feel sad and hopeless. I um, was really proud of a young person that came in to see me recently, and this young 10-year-old went to the mom and said, I'm just feeling so sad, and I just want to die, and I I can't do this, and I don't even know what this is, but I just don't want to be here. I don't want to be alive anymore. And when this 10-year-old came in to see me, I said I was extremely proud that they stepped up and said how they were feeling and asked for help. That is extremely unusual. You will not see children very often say, I need some help. They will kind of expect you to read their mind or know what they're feeling. And I'm going to give you a couple ways that you can get your kids talking and have them tell you what they're feeling. But you might see them socially withdraw. They won't want to go out to play. They don't want to have the friends over. Um, they're sitting alone at lunch hours at school. And we'll get into some how the school changes have been very difficult on kids. But think about it. That's one of them. Some kids who socially isolate anyway are now having to social distance, social is- social isolate. They're not sitting in the cafeteria with other friends, and it's making that even worse, especially for kids that are already depressed. Kids will also have an increased sensitivity to rejection or criticism. Uh, Something before, like you yell at them, or you tell them you didn't take out the trash and you're in trouble, and they might burst into tears or get really angry or take it more to heart than they might have when they weren't depressed. Um, kids will have changes in appetite and changes in sleep, although I don't see that as much as I see that in adults. But that, that can be a symptom of depression in kids. Whenever your kids aren't eating, that is a call to consciousness for you. What's going on for them? Um, either it's a, it can be a health issue that's happening or it can be an emotional issue. So it's just a call for you to do some of the things we're going to talk about today that you can do to help. Um, kids will have uh, vocal outbursts they'll have less impulse control to argue or fight or talk back Uh, they may cry easily Uh, they have difficulty concentrating and kids will get low energy too although sometimes they bounce off the walls being hyper they're acting out trying not to feel what they feel another very common thing that happens with kids that are depressed is they will come up with physical complaints stomach aches, headaches uh, they don 't want to go to school, um, you might give them something for their headache or give them something for their stomach ache, and they still have it because it 's an emotional thing, not necessarily a physical thing, but the kids will do avoidance with physical complaints uh, they 'll have a reduced ability to function. Um, in sports or in school, in their homework, they just will seem like they're sledging through mud and don't want to take interest in what they usually do. The other thing that I see big time with kids are feelings of worthlessness. They'll start to feel low self-esteem or like no one likes them. They'll start to question their kind of existence in the world, and that's pretty common. I hear kids say things like that a lot. Uh, They also we'll start to think about death or suicide. Uh, Kids will actually, you you know, we think kids don't know how to commit suicide or they won't try or won't think about it, but it's not unusual to hear of kids wanting to run out into traffic or to go and take all the pills they find in the house. Um, I remember a number of years ago I had a 14-year-old client who tried to kill herself by taking a whole bottle of Tylenol and thank heavens they caught her soon enough and had her stomach pumped. But that could have actually created, ruined her liver, created all kinds of problems. Um, and it, it could have killed her, but it most likely was just going to really harm her body. So kids will think of things that they want to do to kill themselves, and that is not unusual. So if you think that they don't ever think like that, that's not true. So we're all going to talk about suicide ideology in children and what you can do about that too. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more. Welcome back, to Therapy in a Nutshell. You're listening to the incredibly beautiful Native American flute music of Randy McGinnis. He's played all over the world. He's got six CDs. He's won a ton of awards. He's, uh, currently just, uh, won the Lifetime Achievement Award for Native American Flute. He's been Native American Flutist of the Year. Just, he's an incredible musician. You can go to randymcaginnis.com and listen to all his music. He's also on Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, all over the place. Thank you, Randy, for letting us use your beautiful music on Therapy in a Nutshell. Okay, we're talking about children and depression. Um, In this section, I want to talk a little bit about how kids are mega stressed out with what we're going through in the United States, in the world (laughs) with this pandemic. Um, Kids do best when they have some pretty set routines, and they do best when they have routines that they can predict. Now, occasionally you will find that unusual child that can roll with every punch, and the routines can change constantly, and they will be just fine, but that's not the norm. Kids kids actually do better when they have a really good sleep routine for going to bed. They go to bed at a certain time. They get enough sleep. They get up the same way every morning. They have breakfast, they get ready for school, and they know what to expect at school. One of the things that has been difficult for a lot of children is the constant changing. Uh, for example, what's happening right now in Shasta County a lot is that kids are going to physical school two days a week, and they're doing online school the other three days a week, and they're not with the whole school in the two days that they go to school. they like the first part of the alphabet goes two days, and then the other half of the alphabet goes a different two days. So a lot of kids, their best friend or their peer group that they hang out with is in the other half of the cohort. So they're not in school with their dear friends. Um, they're also dealing with having to wear masks, and some kids are doing better at that than others. Um I've got a young lady that's going to be on and talk to us in just a little bit about depression, and she's going to talk to you some about what happens at school with the mask issue. And it's not, I'm not getting into a debate about whether kids should wear masks or not or whether they're good for COVID or not. That's not what this show is about. But I can tell you that it is an extremely stressful situation for a lot of kids. So it's part of what's happening for them with depression. When I've been seeing kids escalate, and I've had parents call me saying their kids are depressed or suicidal or they're having trouble getting them out of bed to go to school. Uh, the kids are balking at being on the online school, and it's just kind of a zoo. Uh, I was talking to a kindergarten teacher the other day who's trying to coordinate 10 kids physically in the classroom While at the same time, she's trying to do 10 kids on video chat and keep everybody together and motivated and socially distanced in the classroom and keeping their masks on and at home trying to stay focused. We're talking about kindergartners. Uh, And she has no aid in the classroom. I mean, she's got her hands are just totally full. It's it's, you're telling the stories. You start cracking up, but it's really not funny. So. Is it normal for a little five-year-old to be getting really frustrated with all of this, or a 10-year-old, or even a teenager, a high school kid? This is hard for anybody. It's very hard for the teachers to be coordinating this, and it's very hard for the kids. I'll give you another example. Um, A stay-at-home dad who has twin boys said that they do the online school for about a 45-minute class And then they have about a 45-minute break, and then they're supposed to get back on and do another 45-minute class, and this kind of goes on for a good chunk of the day. He said it would be easier just to sit down with them for three hours straight and do the classroom work without getting up. He said when they lose their focus and they go off and they're doing something else, and then you have to stop them and get them back online, it's kind of a constant battle to keep reorganizing. He's staying home from work to do this with the kids, and that creates a lot of hardship for families too because a lot of families can't stay home and do that they have to go to work or they can't work at home and they're trying to juggle the, the online homeschool with work and can you just you can just hear the stress about it so i know that there's a lot of you out there listening i had a lot of responsive when i was starting to put this together i was talking to a lot of people and putting it on social media And I had a lot of response from people saying, yeah, we're going through this. Our family is so stressed out and the kids are stressed out. So as this stress happens, for adults as well as children, this stress can become depression. And one of the ways the stress for all of us becomes depression is a feeling of hopelessness begins to take over. And this is really important, because, as I begin to teach you what goes on with kids i want you I want to teach you how to assess for the hopelessness but let 's look at ourselves as adults, and when we say "When is this going to end we don 't know how long are we going to have to wear masks we don 't know um, what 's going to happen with the elections we don 't know we have so much unknown that is stressful, unknown that it begins to create an overall feeling of hopelessness. That hopelessness is part of what happens with depression. It is also kind of the beginning of depression. As people begin to feel hopeless, they begin to lose the motivation or the energy to do something different, to bring themselves out of a rut. So let's look at our kids going to school with so much unknown. They have chaotic schedules. They're trying to deal with wearing masks, even the little tiny kids. Do you you go to preschool or daycare and try to keep a mask on a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old? I mean, I look at my three-year-old grandson. We can't even keep his shoes on. Half the time, can't keep his clothes on. Um, Trying to keep a mask on his face is almost laughable. So it's stressful for everybody. So getting back to what our kids are going through, they have changes in their teens, changes at school. They're not with their friends groups. Um, One young man that I saw recently for depression, everything was lost. His sports, his friends. uh, He was doing mostly online school, so he was isolated, irritable, uh, fighting with his parents a lot, and... It's just been a real hardship on his emotions. And some some kids do better at trying to dig deep and, you know, keep going on. And then others don't have the things that they usul- usually do that blow off some of their energy. I know a lot of kids that uh, do Kung Fu Sansu with Master James at Ph.D. Martial Arts. He does an incredible job with kids, especially... Um, special needs kids, ADHD kids, kids on the spectrum. Um, Master James just really helps kids learn how to control themselves, not just how to protect themselves during martial arts, but how to find that self-control. So let's look at that as an example. We take kids who can't go to their martial arts class anymore or they can't do their after-school baseball or be on the soccer team. Those activities are really, really good for kids that need a physical outlet for their emotional stability. So that's all canceled everywhere. Now remember that because it's something that's lacking for parents that are trying to help their kids cope. Uh, Parks are closed, so where do you take your kids to go throw the baseball? Uh, How do you help them get that physical activity that they're not getting now? We have to be creative. So stop for a minute. And sit down with your kids and ask them, what have you lost lately? What's been different for you? And what's been hard? And what makes you sad? And if you're sitting around the dinner table and the phones are off and the TV's off and nobody's getting up and running around, and you get into a discussion about how things have been different, you can even say to them, is there anything you like about it being different? I had uh, one teenager I was seeing that said he was way, way, way too busy before between school and sports and uh, friends and activities. He said he was never sitting down and just doing nothing. So this has been a real call to consciousness for him that he needs more absolute downtime where he's not running around so much. But my main point in this section is I want you to recognize as parents that so much has changed for our children and we're kind of wrapped up in what has changed so much for us and worrying financially and being bombarded with all the political stuff that's so negative and everybody's on edge and that's just the adult realm. Then we take our children who are in chaotic schedules and they're having a hard time and is there room to help them? Can you get out of your own angst and your own hopelessness to help your kids figure out what's going on with them? So, The first place to start is to sit them down and say, "Let's talk about what's different these days. How is school different for you? How are how are friends different for you? Um, What are things you used to do that you can't do right now that you're sad about?" And just open up a dialogue. And here's a really important point: don't try to fix anybody. You do a lot of this thing I call listening noises. You say, "Oh, okay, well." Tell me more about that or, oh, you mean when this, when you were playing with so-and-so and and you guys were on the baseball team, is that what you're talking about? Oh, okay. I got it. What do you miss about that? You're going to ask open-ended questions that let them tell you more details. Don't offer them solutions. Okay. All the men that are listening, I want you to write this down. Don't fix it. (laughs) I'm teasing, but moms do that too. So we're not going to fix them. We're just going to listen. Tell me what's happening. Tell me what you miss. It's so interesting to me that I'll start to see a kid in therapy, and I'm deeply listening because I want to understand what's bothering them and why, and for them to give me examples. And I I don't interrupt them, and I let them talk. And sometimes that's the thing they need the most. They don't necessarily need, need me to be some fantastic, uh, you know, enlightened shrink who's going to really diagnose them. They just need a forum where they can be sad and mad and hopeless for a little bit without being judged and without anybody fixing it. So that's your first job as parents. Listen deeply. Create an atmosphere where they can talk. Uh, I worked with one dad and a son. Uh, The son said his dad just always felt like he was telling them what to do. And so we worked out a thing where the dad would go up and lay on his son's bed and kind of scratch his back, and he would say, tell me about your day. What's going on with you? And the dad learned how to deeply listen. And that was probably a year ago, and I, I saw the kid recently for something else, and he said, my dad and I are best friends. My, I can tell my dad anything. And I just loved that. I thought it was so cool. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to a 13-year-old young lady who actually struggles with depression. She's going to tell you a little bit what it's like. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. Here in the studio with me, a very special young lady um, she's actually my granddaughter, and I love her tremendously. Her name is Allison, and Allie has been on my show before she did if you look back in my podcast, you can find a show called bullying. Allie joined me here in the studio and talked about how she's dealt with bullying, and she gave kids some incredible advice on how to deal with it and how to take care of themselves so She's very articulate, she's extremely bright, and Allie struggles with mood disorders. We also have here in the studio a puppy named Hero, who we're trying to get to be quiet, <laughs> so hopefully he won't bark. Uh, Allie, can you say hi to everybody? Hi. Hi. I appreciate you coming on and being willing to be vulnerable to talk about your own mood disorder. Sure. So, we've talked before that Allie is actually on the autistic spectrum. She's a long time ago we used to call it Asperger's, which is high functioning autism, and now we just say that a kid is on the spectrum. So, uh, she's brilliant and beautiful. She's got an incredible singing voice, that perfect pitch and just uh, she sings like a bird. And uh she's got her artistic talent is just remarkable. Her cartoon <laughs> is incredible. So she's got a whole lot of talents. She's has um, got a big heart, wonderful person, loves her puppy hero. Um, mm-hmm. But she also struggles with mood disorder. Now, sometimes mood disorders are part of autism, but not always. There's a lot of kids that aren't on a spectrum in any way or don't have other things that they could say they struggle with, and they still have a mood disorder. So Allie and I have not scripted this. I'm going to ask her questions, and I'm just going to let her talk. She's very articulate, and she's very honest. So I don't even know what she's going to say, but I trust <laughs> I trust her. She knows <laughs> not to say swear words and things. She, I wouldn't do that. I know. You don't swear anyway. Okay. So, Allie, can you tell our listeners what being 13 and struggling with depression and mood disorders is like for you?
0: Well, I'll be having a really good day, and then all of a sudden it just changes within seconds. and. I'm instantly, you know, depressed. I just can't get out of it, and it makes me feel really hopeless. And sometimes it's like this little thought in my head that tells me it's not worth living, but that's not me, you know what I mean? I don't want to die. That's just that thought in my head, and it's really hard with that constantly.
1: So you almost feel like that depression voice is something else besides you.
0: Yeah, it's not me. I don't want to die, <laughs> right. and I don't want to be sad.
1: All right, so let's look at that for a second because I hear that from people from all ages. Almost like there's a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on one shoulder, and one is saying, "Oh, come on, pull out of it. You don't need to feel like this." And the, the little devil on your shoulder is saying, "You just want to die." Do you feel like that sometimes, like you're struggling between the two? voices the two concepts
0: yeah it feels like my depression is just kind of a person always putting their hands on my shoulders and stu- steering me in the direction that they want me to go you know
1: that's really good to know because I think that helps build a coping mechanism for kids that feel like that like the depression is a different voice a different direction being it's not me it feels like it's not you
0: I lose myself every time I fall into that and it happens at least once a day those mood swings I get like one of them a day at least, sometimes right. two, and it's really hard.
1: Right. When when do you think the depression started for you? You're 13 now and a freshman in high school. When do you think you first started feeling depressed?
0: Um, I think when I was about 11.
1: I think that's about right. So some of what happens, too, is hormonal imbalances. As kids begin to go into puberty and early puberty, those hormonal imbalances create... Mood disorders sometimes that kids don't know how to deal with. And then sometimes they can take on a life of their own. For example, when you were on the bullying show and you talked about how you'd get bullied at school for autism, mm-hmm. it, that would bring you down. Yeah. So you had to learn how to cope with that.
0: Yeah. I don't really react to bullying <laughs> anymore, though. But, I mean, it's really hard having depression, too, and the mood swings because I'll be texting my friends and having fun with them, and then all of a sudden I'm, like, apologizing for even existing to them, and it makes me feel really bad. It makes me feel like I'm just being annoying to them, you know, because I can't control it. It just suddenly happens and makes me feel like I've done something wrong.
1: That's a really good point. One of the things we've worked with you on is that you start excessively apologizing, and like you just said, you're apologizing for your existence. So... That's a really good clue for parents out there who are trying to deal with their kids. Yeah, she just hit the microphone. <laughs> it's okay. That's <laughs> <Sit> still a baby. <laughs> she's um, she's talking about. When she begins excessively apologizing, she's sliding into a depression, and you're apologizing for your very existence. So kids will start doing a behavior that, internal for them, they're viewing as a coping behavior. I'm trying to feel better. I'm trying to tell people I see that I'm not worthy, and I'm apologizing for who I am and that I'm annoying and that my depression is hard to deal with.
0: I don't want them to think I'm not self-aware.
1: Ah, that's really cool that you can say that. So your behavior of excessive apology, excessive apologizing to people, excessively apologizing to people, I <laughs> said it right, that when you do that, that's a red flag for you that you are in depression and we need to find some better coping skills for you than excessively apologizing. Because it, when she does that, people around her are going, Allie, stop it, stop yeah. apologizing. Everybody, We all say it to her. So I I grounded her today. She's not allowed to apologize once. <laughs> and you've been doing really well. She's been hanging
0: out no, with I me. Apologized all day. Ace I apologized in Hardware. That's
1: <laughs> right. But that's because you did something. Okay. So that's something you can look for in your kids. Some behavior that they're using to try and cope with the mood swings. So let's take a minute here to talk about medication. Of uh, of course, ambulance. <laughs> Godspeed on your errand of mercy. That's what we say to ambulances and. First responders. Uh, when kids have depression that's ongoing, I want you to look at it as two different things. Put in one hand things that happen, like their dog died, or uh, like when Allie lost her papa. Um, the things that are just really horrible in families grief and loss. Uh, the fires, you're losing your house, losing everything you hold dear of your physical things. And then look at the other type of depression. Put that in your other hand. And that's depression that's kind of unexplained. And that might go with the neuroatypical brain function of somebody who's on the autistic spectrum. It might go with someone who has hormone imbalances. But that is a biochemical kind of depression. When somebody has a reactive depression, something they're bothered about, like their house burning down, And it goes on and on and on. It can become a chemical depression, and they can't pull out of it. Now, this is true for adults and for children. So we started working with um, Allie's medical doctor and had her evaluated in UC Davis for depression. And they've been trying her on different medications to find an antidepressant that will make her not be suffering so much. Yeah, because none of them have worked. None of them have really worked so far. You do a little better. On them. There's, a, there's a really important thing to remember. You want to work with a doctor who really knows psychotropics in children or a child psychiatrist, and they're hard to find. Good ones are hard to find, too. You have to sometimes go into the big cities um, because you want to treat childhood depression correctly, whether you're treating it with therapeutic intervention or you are treating it with medication and or medication. If the child is on medication, I really think they need to be in therapy as well.
0: Yeah, I but therapy, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that really
1: helps that you have some place to mm-hmm. go and talk. And it's not your grandma. <laughs> you. <laughs> so. But uh, when you treat a child with medication, some doctors that aren't really familiar with psychotropic meds in children will undertreat them. For example, in, in my 34 years of private practice, I've seen kids put on 10 milligrams of Prozac with the doctor's logic being, "Well, they're kids, they don't need a full dose of an antidepressant. Children actually have very... Uh, high-functioning livers, they haven't wrecked them like adults have (laughs) with, you know, toxins and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. So their livers are very efficient, and they filter out a lot of medication. So sometimes kids actually need a higher dose of a medication than an adult has. So you need somebody who knows how to do that. If you treat a childhood depression medically with medication, you want to do it right the first time. You don't want to do it incorrectly because the kid has a better chance of not being depressed again if it's treated correctly the first time. What did you want to say, Allie? Uh,
0: I wanted to talk about, like, some of the signs that someone's depressed, kind of from my point of view. That would be awesome. Go for it. I didn't really think of anything first. I didn't think of anything first, so
1: pardon (laughs) me. Well, you know that you're getting depressed when you're starting to slide down into that thing. Yeah. Well, um...
0: I usually, when I'm really depressed, I have no motivation to do anything. I could even be having a really good day, and then all of a sudden my body just feels like a whole weight, and everyone calls me lazy or something, but I just don't want to get up. And it's hard, or I'm really irritated with every little noise, everything, because I just don't want to hear anything anymore, you know? And it's really hard when people you know, try and tell me that I'm struggling, like, yeah, I know that, and it's kind of hard
1: to hear it from other people's perspective, you know what I mean? So, you get sensory overload, you get super tired, and you don't want to wake up. Yeah. Um, just put your foot against the front of his <laughs> crate door. <laughs> Hero's pounding on his crate door, wanting out. Yay, I'm so glad we brought him with us. I'm going to um, go get his toy real quick.
0: That's probably a good idea.
1: Okay, go get his book. <laughs> so and we see this in Allie when she's feeling really down. She gets she loses motivation to do anything, uh she gets in trouble for not getting up and finishing her chores. Um, she doesn't want to follow through. And the other thing um that we see her doing is that she starts to not care. She doesn't care if she's got her homework done. She doesn't like the other day when we were talking about school, she was going, I just don't care. I just don't want to worry about school, and I don't care what happens. Um, Allie, talk to people a little bit about how the constant chaos, the constant chaos with the changing schedules has affected your depression. We've got probably about one minute for you to tell us that.
0: Um. Well, on weekends, it's it's harder for me on weekends because I have the opportunity to just lay in bed all the time. And that's really what I do. He's barking back there. <laughs> um, but on school, I'm just expected, at school, I'm just expected to be motivated. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you talk, I'm
1: closing. Door.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's my dog. <laughs> He's crazy. Sorry. <laughs> um, as, as soon as I, Monday comes, I'm expected to be motivated and just jump right out of that. Yes. It's really hard. I I just can't do it, and it usually causes me to have panic attacks throughout the day at school because I just want to go home. My whole body, like I said, feels like a weight. It's too hard.
1: So you have anxiety that goes with your depression as well, which is Mm -hmm. not unusual. It's not unusual at all. Okay, we're going to go to break. We're going to put Hero in the bathroom and close the door. (laughs) He is cute. He's a little corgi, and he's so cute. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we'll be back in a minute, and we're going to talk to you about how to evaluate your kids for depression, how to know if they need help or not, and how you can help them as parents first and foremost. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. We are talking about childhood depression and how this has been so difficult for kids during this whole pandemic, COVID thing, uh, the different school changes, and everything that's happening with that. And it's, it's just been very difficult for kids. So, what I want you to do is listen, as parents, you you will first hear your gut saying. You'll first hear your gut saying, something's wrong with my child. I'm worried. I don't know what's going on. Um, They're feeling different. They're feeling like something's wrong. So as parents, you will know. But I want to give that a little bit of a caveat because sometimes what you will see is, My child isn't acting like his or herself. Uh, She's arguing all the time. He's acting out. They're not doing their chores. All of a sudden, their grades are dropping. They don't care about school. They can't get on board with all the changes with the academics. And you're saying you're mad at them. You're saying just cut it out and stop being lazy. And you just need to get online and get your things done. And uh, you need to stop leaving the desk and stay there on your video school. You'll find yourself angry at them a lot because they're acting out. That is a sign of depression. So don't just watch for the boo-hoos and the hopelessness and the feeling sad. You might also watch for the acting out. And that's something that we see in Allie as well. When she's getting depressed, she not only wants to sleep a lot, she doesn't want to get up and do anything, but she ends up getting in trouble a lot because she'll do things part way, or not do what she was told to do. And it's because she's in that lack of motivated, I don't care state. So these are the things you're looking for with your children. So your your gut instinct has already said, I'm worried about them. They're not acting like themselves. They're getting, or they're worse. I mean, if you have a kid who's argumentative and acts out and is hyper or anything anyway, and they're getting worse, that might also be a sign of depression. So, as parents, the first thing is not to try and label it, are you depressed? Because if you ask a kid that, they won't know what you're talking about, usually. What you're going to do is open up the conversation. And like I was talking to you about in the second section, you might start with something like, tell me how you're feeling about all the changes at school. How has it been that you don't get to see your friends so much? Uh, I noticed you haven't seen... You know, name a good friend. You haven't talked about that friend in a while. And then here's the real clue. Just listen. You have to have time to sit, not staring at your phone or watching TV at the same time, not multitasking, but just talking. So let me give you a couple of examples of how parents do a really good job of this. Like the dad that goes and lays on the bed and just talks to his son, and he's not staring at him in the face. He's laying behind him, just rubbing his back and saying, tell me about your day and talk to me, and leaving lots of space for his son to talk. That's beautiful, and it, it has really improved their relationship. Another one that parents say work really well is to take the kids when you're driving somewhere. Say you have to drive to Sacramento for three hours. Set your mindset that you're going to let your child talk. Put all the electronics in the back seat. Nobody's listening, you know, staring at their phone. And just ask open-ended questions and let them talk. Your children will talk to you if they feel safe. What makes a kid feel safe? And maybe, Allie, you can speak to that. What makes a kid feel safe talking to the adults in their life?
0: Um, Probably no judgment. (laughs) Yeah. Or saying that you're being overdramatic or exaggerating. Sometimes it may seem like we're exaggerating, but it's just hard or being overdramatic, but it's hard to express it. It's really hard to express it in the way that it actually feels.
1: Right. So if an adult says to a kid, tell me more about that, or wow, it sounds like you're really upset, um, just let them talk. Let them recenter. And you're not going to judge and you're not going to fix. No judgment, no fixing, just listening. So what I teach couples all the time in therapy and what I do with family therapy is I really want people to seek to understand before they seek to be understood. So until you can totally understand what your child is going through and what they're feeling, you don't want to be offering up advice or trying to fix. So you're doing a whole lot of understanding, a whole lot of listening. So create an atmosphere, whether it's sitting at the dinner table or taking your child out for a walk or something where you have some undivided attention with no electronics on either the child's part or yours, mm-hmm. and start a dialogue. Allie, what are you seeing with your friends at school who are struggling? What would what would be a question you could ask these young high school kids? that would get them opened up and talking?
0: Mm, uh, I'd probably just ask how they've been doing today and if they ate anything. And I kind of start off with that and then ask what's been going on with them. Or if I kind of get the vibe that they're not feeling good, because I obviously can recognize signs of feeling anxious or depressed. I tell them, you don't seem like yourself. Are you okay? And you can talk to me, and or let's go somewhere else to talk about it.
1: I like that a lot. You don't seem like yourself. You can talk to me.
0: And I can also I also tell them if you don't want to talk, that's cool too. You can you just know you can, and you don't need to hesitate. I tell a lot of my
1: friends that. That's beautiful. Yeah, Allie's a budding shrink. She <laughs> she would be very good in this profession. So, I think that's excellent advice. Just you're not seeming like yourself. Talk to me, and I'm just going to listen. I won't fix it, I promise, unless you want me to put some input in there. Yeah. Now, that's another really cool thing that parents can do. When your kids are telling you how upset they are and what they're struggling with, you can say, I have a couple of thoughts. May I share them with you? Or I have a couple of ideas of something that might help. Do you want to hear it? And then wait for their response. Because you might say, look, I think... It would be really helpful if we had your friends over. i'm thinking of a um, ten year old I saw, and the parents said the person hadn't the ten year old hadn't seen friends in a long time because because of covid, of, because of COVID. Yeah. and so they arranged with the parents for the kid the child that they had to invite several kids over now that restrictions are lifting a little bit, but they purposely said we need to get them together and let them play their video games or do something. So they had the older kid version of a play date. We Mm -hmm. don't call it that anymore. But they got some kids together. And that was really helpful for their child because their child was feeling really isolated. Yeah. So I want you to talk to me a little bit about what kids are struggling with, too, with the mask issue. And I'm not just talking about getting used to wearing a mask. It's, It's hard for everybody, and we do better at times than others. What happens with kids at school with the whole mask issue?
0: A lot of kids uh, will be, you know, picking on people who don't wear them. And I they they just say, like, oh, you're Karens or something like that. And but Don't be a Karen, which I, is a
1: new type of insult.
0: I really don't talk about it. I just sometimes I wonder, maybe they have sensory issues, something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean.
1: It's hard for you to wear masks because you have sensory issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, or when I'm having, like, a panic attack and I need air and then yeah. I'm in class and I can't breathe because of it. But
1: And if you're having a panic attack in class and need air, will the teacher let you take the mask off and breathe?
0: They let me go outside.
1: And then you can take your mask off.
0: Yeah, or I usually just go to the bathroom. I usually go to the bathroom or wait outside of it because the bathroom smells. <laughs> <laughs> and just ask to go to the bathroom and then wait outside. And mm-hmm. that's really... Just a good way to get a break, and sometimes I take the long way so I can get a walk-in, too, and okay. kind of calm myself down.
1: Okay, and so what Ellie's speaking to is she has spent a lot of time, um, partly because she's got a grandmother who's a therapist and an aunt who's a therapist and her mom who's in working on her degree in therapy. <laughs> she's got a family full of them. But we all work with Ellie to express what she's feeling, talk about her emotions. To, she's able to say, I'm having a panic attack, and this is what I need. So, helping your kids identify what they're feeling, getting them talking about it, then helping them find feeling words. If you look in my book, Therapy in a Nutshell, um, there's a whole list of feeling words. And you can hand the child that list of feeling words or you can make up your own of 50 different feeling words. You can look in my book and and do that. Uh, And then you can say, tell me some of the things you're feeling because they'll say, I'm sad. I'm angry. And they're probably feeling 25 more things. So then you're giving them language to say what's going on in their head. Then what you want to do is help them figure out what makes you feel better. Like what Allie's saying, I need some fresh air. I need to walk a little bit and recenter. And you've said lots of times in the family, I'm feeling really badly. I need to recenter. Help me recenter. Either I'm going to go off and be by myself for a little bit, go to my room, or can you sit with me and hold me and help me recenter? You know how to ask for what you need, but Mm -hmm. most 13-year-olds do not.
0: I also want to say, like, if someone is telling you that they're about to have a panic attack or if they're anxious and just need a minute, it's not good to tell them to just calm down. That's like something very important you shouldn't say.
1: I've always said, no one in the history of the world has ever relaxed when somebody said, relax. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't work. Like, if you could, you would. Okay, so if someone said, I'm feeling anxious, and I'm about to have a panic attack, what would you want them to say to you?
0: I'd want them to say, do you need to take a minute, or um, do you want to just talk to me, and I, like, or I want them to say, oh, let's talk about something you like. Sometimes talking about things I like distracts me, or just talking about, stuff in general, okay. you know what I mean? But, I, you know, I'd want them to ask first because sometimes you don't really want people to just dismiss your feelings and then, like, change the subject.
1: So you don't want them to offer up something you don't need. Mm -hmm. So one thing someone could say when someone's about to have a panic attack is, I'm right here. How can I help? What Mm -hmm. do you need? And it's really good if the person who's depressed or anxious can say, I need to just walk. And what's really cool about walking is it's bipedal. You're using both sides of your body, which are stimulating right and left hemisphere of your brain, which are going to calm you down, which is why tapping helps calm you down. Mm-hmm.
0: That's one so of my self-stimulatory behaviors, too. Tapping
1: is awesome. You can go onto YouTube and watch a video on tapping for like 10 minutes, and it will teach you the nine different places you can do tapping, and you're doing bilateral stimulation of the brain. Okay, we don't have much time left. we gotta we got to wind this up. But I want to let you know that I... I put out on my Facebook that I was offering a thousand free copies of the audio version of my book. If you would like to be able to download my book for free, email me at drpatty, D-R-P-A-T-T-Y, at patriciabay.com. Or you can go to my website, patriciabay.com, click on Email Dr. Patty, and say, I would love to have a copy of your audiobook. Um, there's a lot of things in there that will help. All right, we're going to do more talking about kids and depression and kids and COVID and all that um, in another show. But I want to thank my special guest, mm-hmm. Allison Bedford, my precious granddaughter, whom my love <laughs> tremendously, and Hero for finally being quiet in the other room. Yeah, we had to put him in the bathroom. We, we shut him in the bathroom, turn the light out, and close the door. No,
0: I didn't turn the light oh. out. I wouldn't do that. <laughs>
1: so this is therapy in a nutshell. This is Dr. Patricia Bay.